This is Real Estate Rookie episode 282. What I tell people that are just starting out is give yourself 90 days. 90 days, analyze 100 deals. And if you can analyze 100 deals over 90 days, you'll know without a shadow of a doubt uh, whether or not that market is a good market or not. So there, there has to be a certain threshold that you hit, I think, before you rule a market out. And a lot of it just comes with like grinding it out, analyzing the deals and, and doing the hard work uh, to, to make it happen. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And uh, man, we got a really good rookie reply today. I liked it because the questions today were a little, um, kind of a little spicier, a little different from our, our normal variety of questions for the, the reply episodes. Yeah. And we go through three questions, but I feel like we went pretty deep into them really breaking things down. Um, for one of the things we talk about is buying properties with tenants in place or how to get that property vacant if there are tenants in place when you do want to close on the property. Yeah. We also talk about REITs versus investing on your own. And Ash and I share what we believe is the like most passive way uh, to invest in real estate investing. And one of the things that we uh, we both aspire to do. And also how my side hustle is currently a loan shark. So if you have credit card debt, <laughs> contact me. <laughs> And then uh, we also touch on partnerships. Uh, and for some of you that maybe haven't heard yet, Tony and I do let out a little secret of something that we're working on when we do talk about partnerships. But uh, we go through doing uh, a first deal by yourself, doing a JV agreement, which is a joint venture agreement, or creating an LLC with a partner. Yeah. Cool. So I just want to share a quick uh, shout out to someone from the rookie audience. Let's say five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Goes by the username Vince LR. And Vince says, inspiring and useful. So it's a little bit longer review, but it's a good one. So uh, Vince says, Ashley and Tony do a great job bringing in unique content and people to learn from. They helped me build up the confidence to start my investing journey last year and are an inspiration. I'm in a position now with the things I'm learning from bigger pockets to leave my nine to five and start building my own real estate investing business full time. The content they provide was a big catalyst to make this possible. And I'm so thankful. And Vince finishes by saying, added bonus, Tony is also an inspiration for being ripped while doing what you love. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll have a six pack like him. <laughs> Vince, I appreciate that, man. Um, I'm actually in my off season right now, so I'm, I'm far from being ripped, but um, I'm, I'm hoping one day you can be on the stage with me, brother. That'd be a fun thing for us to do together. I mean, I was really loving that review, but then I felt personally victimized that, you know, my <laughs> guns are not mentioned in, in the review. Yeah. Well, Vince, I appreciate that, man. That's good news. Yeah. Thank you, Vince. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to DealMachine.com BP. 
Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com bp. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com bp. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent to retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Let's get into our rookie reply questions. Okay, Tony, I have the first rookie reply of today's episode ready to go. And the first thing, uh, so this this question is from Tommy Burridge, and he says, dumb question, dot, dot, dot. And you guys should have learned from your teachers in elementary school, there's no such thing as a dumb question unless you've already asked it several times and you did not listen to the answer. So that is my only exception. <laughs> that is my only exception. So what someone told me one time, Ashley, it's like either you can you not ask the question for the fear of feeling dumb or you can actually not ask the question and really be dumb. Yeah, yeah. You know, so when I heard it that way, I was like, okay, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. So Tommy's question is, is investing in rental properties better off done alone or is it possible to JV joint venture on something like this? Has anyone ever done this and how did it work? So Tony, this is actually how you did your first deal correct, was a joint venture with Omid. Yeah. So it was actually my second deal. So our first deal I did by myself. And then the second one I, I did with uh, with a partner. And uh, to answer the question, Tommy, uh, it, it's definitely not a dumb question like Ashley said. And yes, there are tons I, okay, of Okay. First of all, I did not say it was a dumb question. That was written in No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, when I said like Ashley said, I meant like it's not a dumb question like how Ashley said. It's not a dumb question. <laughs> oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> but but anyway, the the point, Tommy, is that um, you know, yeah, people people partner in real estate all the time. You see partnerships on smaller deals, um, people buying single family homes, people partnering to flip houses, people partnering uh, where one's the, the private money lender, one's the, the person uh, borrowing the money. And then you see partnerships on larger scales, right? Uh, most of the apartment complexes or big commercial facilities that you see, it's usually not one person that's buying those. It's a, a, an investor who's raising funds from a bunch of different people, effectively creating a partnership with those people to get access to all of that capital and then going out and buying the deal that way. So, Tommy, you you see partnerships and JVs um, across real estate in every way, shape, or form. So um, I, I think it, it it definitely has the potential to work out positively um, if you do it the right way. So, there, I mean, there's so much we can talk about, Ashley, but just what, what are your initial thoughts on Tommy's question? Yeah, my first deal was with a partner. We didn't do a joint venture agreement. We actually created an LLC where we are 50-50 partners on the deal. So you do have that option too, if you are partnering to actually form an entity together. Uh, there are pros and cons to both. Um, if you're doing a JV agreement, it's uh, you're a lot less liability towards each other. You're not completely committed to each other. You're just tied together for this one deal. Uh, if you do do an LLC together, you're filing a joint tax return together. You are, um, you know, holding on to this business where you know you're doing the accounting for it together, all these things, you can run more deals through this. So I would say if you just want to do one deal with somebody, a joint venture is the way to go. Um, if you want to keep buying deals with this person, you can still do the joint venture method every single time, but you're actually going to build a business together. And LLC is also an option for you getting started. So Tony and I often talk about like pieces of the puzzle to get started in real estate. And maybe you are missing something and that's why you haven't taken action yet. So maybe Tommy, in your scenario, you have the money, you've been researching about real estate, but you just don't have the time to actually go out and find a deal. So if that's what's holding you back, find somebody who can do that for you, who can go and find the deal and bring you that piece that you're missing to actually start becoming a real estate investor. And this isn't only just for somebody who's trying to get their first deal. This continues on through your life of being a real estate agent as to like, okay, I want to do this. Uh, For example, Tony is, you know, going after a campground in West Virginia and he is taking on private money partners for this purchase. And, you know, that is that you've done something similar, but never to this extent. So it was Tony as an experienced investor looking at this deal and saying, okay, I need to figure out how to partner with people to get this deal done. So you'll see this continuously as a huge advantage of leveraging other people and their resources. My partner right now is the first like really hands-on partner that I've had. The other two were, um, you know, maybe hands-on for some deals, passive for others, or just completely passive in general. And so I think kind of look at what you want out of a partner, because that can make a big difference too. So if you just want, you just need somebody's money and you can find the deal, you'll do all the work. You don't care. Then make sure you're going to find somebody who's just going to let you keep that control and not say, Oh, here's the money, but I think I know best. And I'm going to kind of meddle in (laughs) what you're actually trying to do. So there's so many things to, to look at in that situation. 
Yeah. And I just want to, I want to touch on for, for Tommy and really for everyone that's listening, like the different things to consider when you're structuring that partnership. Um, first is that you should 1 million percent, uh, get your partnership formalized in some kind of written document. Like Ashley said, it could be uh, that you form an LLC together and that it's your operating agreement that kind of establishes a lot of these things. Or if it's a joint venture in the JV agreement, make sure you you establish these things. But I'll I'll give a a quick rundown of the things you should consider when you are creating uh, a real estate partnership. So um, there's, there's kind of two pieces to this, right? There's the, the sweat equity, kind of the, the work portion. And then there's the actual capital that goes into the deal. Okay. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll talk about the capital first. So when you're, when you're structuring a partnership, there's the down payment, there are the, the closing costs, there are the, uh, the mortgage that needs to be carried. If there's any rehab or if you're maybe doing like an Airbnb or set up in your furnishing costs. So there's, there's this money that needs to be used towards all of these different purposes. And you should identify who's responsible for bringing what percentage of each one of those, uh, different buckets. You guys could say, Hey, we're just, we're just going to split everything 50 50 down the middle. Um, or maybe one partner is in charge of the down payment and the closing costs while the other partner is going to carry the debt. And then you split the, the, you know, rehab or furnishing, whatever it is to get the property up and running. There's so many different kind of scenarios there, but I think it's, it's super important to identify who's responsible and at what percentage for each one of those different financial buckets. Um, in terms of how you pay each other back, right? If, if one partner maybe is the, the full capital partner and the other partner is just kind of bringing the sweat equity, what are the terms of how that other partner will get paid back? Is it, Hey, they're getting paid back, uh, just with, you know, the cash flow. We're going to split the cash flow 50 50. Or is there some kind of additional agreement that says, Hey, if there's $500 a month in cash flow, you know, 50% of that's going to go towards the capital partner until he or she gets repaid. And then the remaining 50% will split. Or maybe all of the cash flow goes to the partner that brought the capital until they get paid back. So there's different ways you can think about that quote unquote capital recapture. Um, and then on the equity side, there's the, the sense of who's doing what work. Okay. Um, like I'm, I'm going to use short term rentals as an example because that's where the majority of our portfolio is. Um, for a short term rental, there's so much that goes into it. There's the initial setup which could take several days to maybe a couple of weeks, depending on the size of the property, right? Where you're out there building furniture, um, you know, getting the property ready for the guest. Um, and then whether it's short-term or long-term, once you take that property live, um, you have to now deal with the folks that are coming into that property. It's either going to be your guests on a short-term rental side or maybe tenants if it's a long-term rental and who's going to manage that property on a long-term basis, right? Actually dealing, being the, purpose, the person that's interfacing with the uh, the guest or, or the tenant. And there's also like the, the repairs and maintenance, right? Maybe you're a handy person and you want to help the property save maybe a little bit of costs by doing the repairs and maintenance yourself. So all of these different kind of sweat equity pieces that go into maintaining that property, you you all should identify who's going to be doing what and think about how you're going to be compensated for that sweat equity. Here's the mistake that a lot of new investors make, uh, Tommy, is that they, they undervalue the sweat equity. They undervalue the sweat equity because if I'm the person that's bringing the capital, my job is done once we close on that property. All I'm doing is writing a check, maybe signing some loan docs, and then my job is done. But the person that's going to be doing this with equity, their their work persists for as long as you own that property. So you want to think about how should I be fairly compensated for that work? So it could be, hey, my compensation is just going to be part of my equity. So you know I'm going to get 
X percentage of the cash flow, and that's going to cover my time that I put into managing this property. Or maybe you do something like where you charge a property uh, a property management fee, or if you're doing the repairs and maintenance, you're, you're charging an hourly rate for the repairs and maintenance. So a lot of things to consider, Tommy, and, and this is just kind of like the, the tip of the iceberg, but, but think through those questions and make sure you get it down and writing before you move forward with the partnership. Yeah, I think to kind of summarize all of those great points that you touched on, Tony, is to really think of now in your partnership, what's happening now, but also into the future. What are some things that can happen that you need to be prepared for? The second thing is roles and responsibilities as to who is doing what. But also if you're saying, you know what, neither neither of us are doing maintenance or the repairs, somebody else is going to do that. Somebody has to at least take ownership of hiring that maintenance person, overseeing that maintenance person, paying that maintenance person. And I think that's oftentimes overlooked as, yeah, you're going to outsource these things, but you know, you have a bookkeeper doing it, but all of a sudden she needs some information from you. Who's going to be the one to take the time to respond to her email? There's all these little admin things and all this oversight that needs to be done, even if you are outsourcing a lot of roles, um, getting financing done. Um, if you hire, a, you know, all these people on your team, the, the loan officer still may need your social security number, your tax return, that maybe your property manager, your, you know, maintenance guy, they don't even have that or, you know, have access to it. So uh, definitely think about those kind of things when going into building out your agreement too. And the last thing is the exit strategy. Uh, maybe you need to pivot and you need to change from a long-term rental to a short-term rental or vice versa. What happens there? Uh, what happens if you sell the property? What happens if you refinance the property? Are you going to max out what you can get for the appraisal? Or are you just going to refinance to pay the current loan to maybe get a better rate? But you have to have some kind of decision maker in there, especially if there's something that comes up and you don't agree on. So maybe one person wants to max out you know, the loan to value based on this new appraisal and the other person doesn't, what happens if you're 50-50 partners or equal partners and there's some kind of decision that needs to be made? What is that kind of tiebreaker? And I've seen it where people have a designated third party, you know, maybe it's their attorney or <laughs> their accountant or somebody close that they trust, maybe even a mentor that comes in and actually looks at the facts of both sides and then makes the decision or it's based on, you know what, Tony, he handles all the maintenance. This is a maintenance decision as to whether we go and put a new roof on this property. He gets the final say in what we actually do in this situation. So there's definitely a lot to think about. And good thing, Tony and I will be releasing this summer our book on partnerships. So make sure you guys uh, keep an eye out for that. Yeah. I guess uh, just like one personal update, because you, you mentioned it, Ashley. So um, we had that West Virginia campground that we've been working on. And yeah, it was a, it was a, a, a partnership structure, but not equity. Uh, we're essentially raising debt from a, a pool of investors. And uh, we actually had to pull out of that deal, Ashley, on Friday. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So, and I, I think this could be uh, in, you know, instructive for all the rookies. So I'll quickly share what happened. So yeah, please do. I think it's so beneficial. Yeah. And it's, it's such a bummer. Cause I was, it's like the second time this has happened to us. And I, I feel like it's, you know, every time we get close, like something happens that, that kind of gets us off track here. But when we, when we initially uh, put this property under contract, 
uh, we needed to raise about 1.5 million bucks or so. Um, and we raised the funds. Like we had capital commitments from all of the, the lenders, um, that were, that were going to participate. Um, but we did this as a traditional, um, kind of private money relationship. So each lender was going to have, um, a promissory note and then a deed of trust that secured that note to, um, uh, to the property. Now we had already asked a syndication attorney like months ago, like, Hey, if this is debt, um, and it's secured by real estate, is this a security? And do we have to follow like securities laws and, and kind of run this as a syndication? And he said, no, you, you don't because it's a, it's a note secured by, by real estate. So we're like, cool. So we go down the path, you know, and eight, you know, eight weeks later, um, we start getting pushback from the closing attorney in West Virginia saying, Hey, with a number of people that are lending on this deal, um, I feel like it's going to be security. And we said, look, we already cl- cleared this with the securities attorney. Like they said, no. And he's like, Hey, I really think you should double check with them. So we hop on the call with our securities attorney. We walk him through and he's like, yeah, no guys, you're, you're fine. This is, this is not a, a securities like move forward. Right. An hour later, we get an email from our attorney saying, Hey guys, I did a little bit more digging and it actually does seem that this will, uh, qualify as a security, even though it's dead, even though it's secured by real estate, it's still going to be going to be a security. So, um, now there's, you know, the additional cost of it becoming uh, a syndication, um, which you probably could have dealt with. But the bigger issue was that uh, because we'd already kind of talked about this deal publicly, and I've already mentioned in the podcast, now we're at the point where we can only solicit that deal to accredited investors. And now <laughs> the issue was that almost 80% of the people who had committed to participate in that deal were not accredited investors. So we essentially would have had to go out and re-raise another $1.2 million um, to try and close that deal. And we just didn't feel that the timing was right or enough time to really get it closed uh, in the window that we had committed to with the seller. So um, we, we had to pull out of that deal on Friday. Well, I'm really sorry to hear that, especially since it was not receiving the right information that kind of caused that. Um, so I guess the follow-up question I have is, is there a certain amount of people that if you would have stayed under would have triggered that not triggered? There, there was no black and white number. Like, Hey, if you're under X, but it's just like, Hey, once you get to, you know, it seems like you might have too many cooks in the kitchen for this not to be a security. Um, so there's, you know, there, there's some lessons learned for, for us. And we specifically had wanted to keep it as, uh, like, a, a non-security so that we could market it to non-accredited investors. Um, so just kind of more, more lessons for us as we, we kind of go about this for the, the third try. And I mean, that, that's what real estate is, is lessons learned, like <laughs> getting to reach that point. And it shows like, Tony, you are an expert in short-term rentals the operations of them, you know, buying in the markets that you're in Joshua tree, the smoky mountains, like you are an expert in that, but it just goes to show you just because you are an expert in those things doesn't make you an expert in everything. And you have to lean on other people like attorneys and, you know, accountants and different, even just different partners to try to figure out, okay, well, I want to scale and grow. This is the next thing I'm going to do. And you're not an expert anymore trying to, you know, step into this, how you set up the deal, a new way to do that. Or even if you were going to change and go into a syndication, like you would still be a rookie syndicator, I guess. And I just want everyone to remember that, that just because someone is experienced and an expert in one thing doesn't make them experienced and an expert in everything else. And the way that they do become experienced is because of 
educating themselves, leaning on others, doing, you know, kind of the legwork to get to that point. So uh, Tony, I'm really sorry to hear about that deal. It did sound really, really awesome. And I was uh, excited to follow the journey, but I know you'll get another one. Yeah. And that's the goal. We, we want to get that first um, uh, commercial property under contract before the year is over. So dusting, our, dusting ourselves off and, um, you know, just to, just to try and make things right with the seller. Um, we didn't have to, our EMD was still refundable, but we just let them keep it because we had tied that deal up for, I think, 45 days. And um, like we're now getting into busy season and he wasn't really doing what he was supposed to do with it. So just trying to make sure that we're, we're putting good uh, good karmic energy out into the into the universe. But, you know, fingers crossed the next one will work out for us. Yeah. And like, it's just kind of like that ethical thing and to keep that, you know, if there was a better business bureau rating about you. <laughs> <laughs> right. That it all says good things, you know? Hey, and also I think it kind of helps you sleep at night too. It's like knowing that you did, you did what you could, I guess, when you had to back out of the deal. Yeah. And that's what I told him. It's like at the end of the day, like, you know, I, I feel like, especially for me being a host on, you know, uh, one of the, the, most popular real estate podcasts out there. It's like my reputation precedes me in a lot of places. And I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm protecting that more than anything. Hiring your search is over. Really, there's no need to search match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, 
we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my nine-to-five job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's go on to our next question. This one is from John Rodriguez. What's the difference between REITs, REITs, and regular real estate investing? Ash, do you own do you own any REITs? No, I don't. I never have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, John, like, like, think about like when you're when you're a real estate investor, um, you, you know, in a lot of situations. You you are purchasing the property and you own a share uh, or you own that property in its entirety. So like when Tony buys a property or Ashley buys a property, it's our names or our LLC's names that are on title that are carrying the debt. We're the ones making the payments. If something goes wrong, it's us talking to our property managers or to our maintenance crew. Like we own the the property. We we oversee the execution and the management of that asset. Okay, and then we collect our cash flow on you know a monthly basis or, or whenever we want to take that take those distributions. When you invest into a REIT, um, it's it's almost the same thing as going in, into like E Trade. And uh, a, a Robin Hood and buying uh, a stock. When you when I buy a stock in Apple or Amazon or Tesla or whatever company, I own a small ownership, but I have almost zero control over how that business is being run on a daily basis. Instead, what I'm doing when I buy that share is I'm putting my faith in the leadership of that company and their ability to give me a return on my investment, either through dividends or through the stock price increasing. And then maybe I'm able to sell off some of my shares to realize that that gain. Um, a REIT is essentially the the same thing, right? You're, you're buying a share of a company that invests in real estate um, and you're able to buy it and sell it just like you would a stock. But the downside is, is that A, the returns are typically significantly lower than what you would get by doing it yourself. And B, the ability con- to control the asset isn't there because instead you're putting your faith in the leadership of whatever REIT you're investing into. Tony, I think that's a a great explanation. And it really comes down to how passive do you want to be in your real estate investing? Uh, So the the thing I love about real estate is there are so many different ways to actually do that. I mean, you can be completely hands-on making calls every single day to try to wholesale a deal, or you can you know, invest in a syndication or invest into a REIT. So uh, I have seen that a lot of large syndicators, that some of them, their actual like end goal, their exit strategy is to sell to one of these big REITs to just completely buy their their whole portfolio. And then that's kind of like their cash cow, you know, they're cashing out. <laughs> yeah. That's honestly like, that's part of my exit strategy as a real estate investor too, right? It's like, I, I want to build this massive portfolio of short-term rentals and kind of the management layer on top of that and hopefully sell that portfolio off down the road to, uh, you know, either a REIT or some kind of fund or, or someone. But actually, I just looked up the data and this is from uh, The Motley Fool. So hopefully this data is, is, is accurate. 
Um, but it says over the last uh, 20 years, uh, the S&P 500 has had a total annual return of 9.5% and REITs are at 12.7%. So it's actually not bad. Now, I would assume, I'd, I'd have to like, kind of like dig through this data. I would have to assume that that 12.7% um, doesn't account for the fees that the REITs are taking. Um, so, you know, REITs make money the same way that a lot of these, uh, you know, companies in the stock market do where they charge fees for managing the assets and, you know, there's all kinds of other stuff. So you as the investor probably aren't getting a 12.75 or 12.7% return is probably something less than that once you account for, for the fees. Yeah. Because if you're uh, investing in an index fund, like say Vanguard S&P 500 index fund, I think your fees are like, 0.05%, like very, very minimal because there's no management of it. Where if you have like a fund where maybe Morgan Stanley or whoever, they have a guy that's like picking the stocks, like, okay, we have in our fund, we have these five different stocks because we know they're going to do great, invest in my fund. Or if you look at your 401k and you see the different options, a lot of times with the financial provider, they'll give you like, if your target retire date is a, um, in 2040, uh, 2045, it usually goes in five-year increments. It will say like, we suggest you invest in this fund because all of the stocks that we're picking for this fund will be doing good by then. So you can cash out your retirement. Um, and it's, you know, maybe low or a little bit higher risk now because it's, pushed farther away where if maybe your retirement date is in five, 10 years, they're more, um, they're low risk, uh, stocks that they're putting into that fund. But if you look at the fees and you should get a disclosure every single year, um, showing what the fees are for each of those funds that you could select. I mean, some of them are outrageous. I did just did this the other day for Daryl. He had, um, he was like uh, in a union at his last job and they have a couple pensions he was in. And I'm like, just so you know, like this is how much you're paying in fees a year. So within an hour, I had already hacked into his account for it and I changed it all to, to index funds. I'm like, I'm like, this is how much money I'm saving you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize when when they invest into some of these well-known funds, the mutual funds, whatever it may be, is that the fund return might be X, but your return as the actual investor is going to be X minus whatever fees are there. And those fees can compound over time. Um, Asher, are you doing anything like any type of passive? Well, you got, you got your index funds. It's like your passive investments, I guess, right? Yeah. I have a, a Roth IRA and then I still have a 401k from, um, a W2 job, but they're pretty much, it, yeah, it's all index funds. Yeah. I don't have any, the only stocks I have are like from the company that I worked for before. And I've been like slowly kind of like liquidating those over the last couple of years. And my goal is just to put pretty much all of it into our real estate portfolio. Um, but like, I do want to get to a point where I'm, uh, just like, a almost like a, uh, my own hard money lender, yeah, because I yeah. feel like that is like the best kind of return that you can get on your investment. Because if I lend someone, whatever, half a million bucks, I get maybe two points up front, right? So I'm going to get what's half a million. What's two points on half a million. What is that? 10,000 bucks up front. Um, I'm going to get $10,000 up front, which is already a, a great return. Right. And then say I give that, that money for a year, I'm going to get another, you know, say I charge them like 10%. That's another 50 K on top of that. Like, that's great. That's a great return, you know? And if you, but you got to have a big, 
a big stockpile of of cash to really make that like a, a livable income. Uh, but I would I would love to get to the point where the majority of my my income is just from lending out money privately. I actually am a loan shark in a sense. Um, my friend has some credit card debt. And I paid off all of his credit cards and he's paying me lower interest than he would the credit card, but still a good interest rate. So every month. <laughs> Who's your fixer? Who's going to hit him up if he's late on the payment? Oh, that's me. Oh, you, you're doing it yourself. I still got my crutches from when I tore my ACL. So, you know, I hobble over, you got the money and then whoosh, take them all. <laughs> you know, crack to the back of the legs. <laughs> what the audience doesn't know is that your 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 knee, your ACL uh, tear wasn't actually from a snowboarding incident. It was just Ashley was tied up. She owed some money to some very bad people. And we just planned it off uh, as a snowboarding incident. And so then I looked at that scenario that happened to me and I'm like, I could do this. And now I am the, the launch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So that, that's, the, that's the real key to wealth, guys. Forget real estate investing. Become a loan shark. Um, there you go. <laughs> okay, let's go to our next question. This one is from Michael Marrero. After how long would you wait after not being able to close a deal to make the decision to try a different market? That is a good question. Yeah. Tony, I want to let's start with you because I pretty much only invest in the same market, the outside of Buffalo, New York, but you started in the Smoky Mountains and then you went to Joshua Tree. So maybe talk a little bit about that transition for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess b- before I even talk about like myself, I, th- I think I just want to, I want to preface this question by saying, um, we don't, we don't know enough about Michael's situation to really be able to answer this question with, um, I think the right kind of, um, detail that we would need to because Michael if if you just started looking in that market like 2 weeks ago and you've analyzed like four deals that is nowhere near long enough for you to confidently state that hey this market does not make sense um what i tell people that are just starting out is give yourself 90 days 90 days analyze 100 deals and if you can analyze 100 deals over 90 days, you'll know without a shadow of a doubt uh, whether or not that market is a good market or not, okay? So there there has to be a certain threshold that you hit, I think, before you rule a market out. And a lot of it just comes with like grinding it out, analyzing the deals, and, and doing the hard work uh, to, to make it happen. Um, but to but to answer your, your question, Ashley, um, we we knew that we wanted to scale quickly. And we had already been analyzing a lot of deals in the Smoky Mountains where we first started with our short-term rental portfolio, and we weren't finding enough that met our investment criteria in terms of cash on cash returns. So what we did is we just kind of opened up the purview to say, okay, what other markets are similar to, to the Smoky Mountains where we can find good deals? We landed on Joshua Tree, and we just kind of quickly scaled things up from there. So I, I think for us, it's always... Can we find deals that meet our return requirements? And are we being aggressive enough in our terms of acquisition? Are we being um, aggressive enough in how quickly we're analyzing deals? Are we building relationships with the right people? And if we're pulling all of those levers and we still can't find the deal, okay, then maybe we we move on to another market. I think a, a couple of things to kind of summarize there is thinking about if you can handle more. So like you said, you weren't getting enough deals and you had the actual capacity to be closing on more deals. So that was a big decision as to why you're going to to the other market. And then also 
finding the resources that you have too. So whether are you taking some of your resources, like maybe you're staying in the same state, but going to a different market, are you going to be using the same real estate agent? Um, are you going to be using the same attorney? Are you going to be using, maybe use a property management company that's nationwide too? And these are the other markets that they're in. So you already know that you have that kind of team already in place. Um, when actually looking at other markets, start with where other people are investing and then break it down from there. First of all, just because other people are investing there doesn't mean that it is a good market for you. Their strategy, their reason for investing, what they look out of, you know, buying real estate, you know, maybe it's appreciation, but you're looking for cash flow. Those things could be very different from what you want. So you need to verify information, but it's a great way to start. Biggerpockets.com, if you're a pro member, you get access to pro exclusive articles. And this is where Dave Meyer from On the Market podcast actually breaks down and does analysis on different markets for you. He'll pick cities. I don't know if they're random or how he picks them, but every once in a while, he'll just be like, let's do you know, an analysis of the market in St. Louis. He'll do, you know, here's the price to rent ratio. Here's what the job growth looks like. And you can also use these as a starting point because you're getting so much data. In my boot camp, I have amazing, amazing students in the boot camp. One person took the sheet that I I create for the boot camp with all the things you should be looking at when you're doing a market analysis, and he put it into an AI chat. So I, I I don't know exactly which one he used, but he asked the the AI to actually go and pull these data points for different cities. And it generated all the data. It gave the resources where it actually found the data. And now he's just able to repeat that for every market that he wants to start investing into. I, I thought that just like blew my mind. It was so cool to just see how I've wasted so much time looking <laughs> at data <laughs> when all yeah. I could have been doing was that. <laughs> That's a man. Uh, I love the application of AI. And honestly, we should have like a, an episode where we just like dive into how real estate investors should be leveraging all of the AI tools that are coming out to kind of better systematize the the processes um, in their own business. But yeah, I, I love that approach, Ashley. And I, you mentioned something that I, I don't want the rookies to gloss over is like leveraging your relationships to understand where other investors are being successful. Like that's what took us to the Smoky Mountains originally, the deal in West Virginia that I just talked about. It was a relationship, another investor I knew in that market that took us there. Um, when we were looking at that bed and breakfast in Western New York, it was a friend of mine who invested in, in the Finger Lakes that took us there. So we definitely lean on our relationships to kind of help point us in the right direction. And then obviously we do our own due diligence afterwards to kind of solidify that this market um, does make sense for us. Okay, let's knock out uh, one more question here, Tony. This one is from Melanie Schmidt. I'm looking to purchase our first investment property, hopefully a duplex or triplex. What are the pros or cons to obtaining a property that has tenants versus a vacant property? Thanks in advance for any advice. When you bought in um, your first property in Treeport, Freeport, whatever it is, I didn't know for two years what city it was, but... Did were there tenants in place or was it vacant? Yeah, so so all of our long term rentals that we had purchased, we bought four. Um, they were all vacant when we purchased. 
Um, and even now, like when we buy a lot of our, our rehabs, our, our flips, um, I still want to make sure that they're, they're all vacant, um, when I purchase as well. And that's a personal preference. But for me, it was because pretty much every long-term rental that I bought or every rehab, like we're, we're going to go in and we need to gut the whole thing in order to execute our business plan. So for us having a tenant in place just didn't make sense for what we were trying to do. Um, like our, our first long-term rental, like we wouldn't have been able to command the rents that we wanted had we left it at, you know, the, the pre rehabbed value and the way that my debt was structured, I almost had to rehab that property to increase the ARV so I could get into it with no cash out of pocket. So, um, I was almost forced in every situation to make sure it came vacant. But what about you, Ash? I know you've, you've seen a mix of both. Yeah. I've purchased properties with tenants in place and, Honestly, the ones that I have purchased with tenants in place, I'm pretty sure all of those tenants are still there. Like they're very long-term tenants. So the only tenants you've had to evict are the ones you chose yourself? Yeah, basically. Or wow. a management company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've yeah. never uh, evicted an inherited tenant. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like there's one person that's been lived there. When I bought it, she had lived there for 30 years. And then... um yeah, so I've on that maybe five, six years now. So, um, but what we did in that scenario is she was paying paying very low rent. She was paying three hundred dollars for a five hundred dollar apartment. So, we did a step up. So every month we did a twenty five dollar increase until she got to that five hundred dollar amount. Um, and the the property was in. We kind of bought it. The there was six units in there. Two needed to be updated. Um, one was vacant that need to be updated, but the four that had inherited tenants in them, they were all, um, like nice, already redone and, um, good condition. So we didn't have to do that. But, um, yeah, I think what you said about doing the rehab and what your strategy is when, if you are purchasing with inherited tenants in place, make sure you know when their lease ends and what kind of notice you need to give them. If you do plan on going and doing a rehab, uh, what I have seen some people do, especially in a duplex or a triplex situation, is they'll go in and they will um, go rehab one side of the property and they will give the tenant from the other side first dibs at that new unit and say, we're going to rehab this property, make it nice. Your rent is going to increase to this amount, but we're going to let you guys have first dibs. Obviously, if they take good care of their apartment. You don't want to let someone into your new apartment that's been trashed. But then this gives this, these people a reason to move into this very nice new apartment. And then you can go ahead and rehab their unit now. Um, and this kind of, you know, you don't have to evict them. You don't have to terminate their lease. It's kind of a, a win-win for each person if they do agree to do that. So that's one thing you can do. Um, but really looking at what your strategy is going to be for the property, if you should put tenants in or buy it with tenants in place or not. And you can always put that as kind of a contingency. I sold a property where there was tenants that I inherited in it. And then I ended up selling the property and they were still there. And the new people purchasing the property wanted it vacant. Well, this was last year I sold it and just evictions are so backlogged that um, they were afraid that with their lease expiration, when I sent the notice that their lease wouldn't renew, what if they didn't move out because it was after the closing date? 
And so we actually held money in escrow in case they did have to proceed with an eviction to get the tenants out. So that's always something you could do too, is ask for money to be held in escrow in case those tenants don't move out. They ended up moving out and then I got my money back. Yeah, that's a that's a really creative way to kind of solve that issue. And I actually took it from the other angle, um, like one of the rehabs that we recently purchased. Um, it was there was a tenant inside, and we essentially just left escrow open until they were able to get the tenants out. Um, so you can do it either way, right? You can close on it and then you know kind of work with the the other person to get them out. Or for us, just because I don't want to deal with the headache, I was like, look, well, we still want to buy the property. Just let us know when they're out, and then we'll we'll move forward afterwards. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us this week's Rookie Reply. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we will be back on Wednesday with a guest. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.